And welcome to Monday. It's the Pure Opelka podcast. Mike Opelka here. I have some big news. I'm going to be continuing to do the podcast as often as I can on a daily basis. But we also have a new, brand new podcast with myself and Tracy Beans from Uncover DC. If you know Uncover DC, then you know this is a rock solid journalist outlet. It is going to be a one hour conversation every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can get it on the usual places on uh, SoundCloud and Stitcher and all that. But it's called Dark to Light. Dark to Light is the podcast with me and Tracy Beans. And it's a, a, a very unscripted discussion of the news and journalism today. So a little different than what we do here. But those of you who listen here, I believe are going to like it. Now, today being the 7th of March is uh, obviously an important day in history with many moments in history that we have to talk about. So I'll tag a few of them here before I get into some of the other issues of the day. On this date in 1777, it was revealed that John and Abigail Adams, husband and wife, were passing letters back and forth as uh, Abigail tried to keep the farm going in Massachusetts while John Adams was in Philadelphia with the Continental Congress. And if you remember the musical 1776, those letters were part of a very critical song in the story. You might go back and look and say, I wonder if this was real or not. Well, it turns out it was real. Letters passed back and forth between husband and wife. They didn't have email or text or any of that stuff. Hell, they didn't have electricity. In uh, 1876, Alexander Graham Bell got the patent for his new invention, the telephone. And I don't know if we teach this enough. There probably isn't enough understanding of how we got to smartphones and what those first stages of communication, electronic. Before then, we relied on telegraphs, dots and dashes, Morse code. So it was a game changer, this this invention, the telephone. On this date in 1923, if you go back to your high school literature classes, you probably had to read Robert Frost's poem, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. Whose woods are these? I think I know. Yeah, you need to go back and read that. It's a great poem. Frost, of course, was the guy who read the poem at JFK's inauguration. On this date in 1965, there was a, a moment in history as Selma, Alabama had 600 civil rights marchers on the Edmund Pettus Bridge fighting for, marching for equal rights and voting rights, and they were attacked by local police of all kinds and beaten. And this is known as Bloody Sunday. It's marked every year. Yesterday, Kamala Harris was down in Selma, Alabama with several members of the cabinet. They went to do the march again. People link arms and march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And uh, when she got back late last night, there was an armed intruder at Joint Base Andrews. And that's kind of disturbing. Glad they caught him. But apparently the guy avoided security, armed and more than one person. But there's still one they're looking for. That's a little scary. 
On this date in uh, 2010, Catherine Bigelow, director, won the Best Directing Oscar for the movie The Hurt Locker. Kind of a, just a remarkable, intense film about what people go through disarming bombs, especially in wartime. Bigelow was the first woman to win that Best Directing Award. The important thing about this is she beat out her ex-husband, James Cameron, the director who was also nominated for Best Picture that year. It's kind of great revenge. They were married for a couple of years, like from 89 to 1991. So it was still well over a decade later, but she got her revenge, and that's that's sweet, I guess. Uh, many news stories to kind of gloss over today. We're going to talk to Wendy Patrick about some legal issues as well. Day 12 of the war in Ukraine, and I'm... I'm wondering just how much we know really about what's going on. It still feels like we are leading from behind, that most of the action is going on either from uh, European nations or from the business community. As American Express has joined Visa and MasterCard in suspending business in Russia. So Russia's turning to China. And you have to wonder if this was the plan overall. Is this how Russia and China solidify their relationship? Meanwhile, we're still buying Russian oil. We are buying Russian oil. And I know Jen Snarky says, it's not much, the oil we're buying. Well, why buy any of it then? And if it's not much, then why would stopping buying it cause a huge spike in the price of oil? Doesn't make sense. Maybe it's not true. Another ceasefire declared and humanitarian corridors were eventually or apparently identified so people could get the heck out of Ukraine if they wanted to. There's some concern, though, that the approved corridors lead to Russia or Belarus. That's not really a choice then, is it? And earlier today, Russia delivered its list of four demands that if Ukraine does this, they will stop the war. Well, part of that includes recognizing Russia owns Crimea, which they stole from Ukraine under the Biden administration, not the Biden, the Obama Biden administration. It also includes recognizing the two provinces, the provinces that Russia has taken, Donbass and the other one next door. And it wants Ukraine to guarantee it will remain neutral. But nowhere in there does it say that Russia will leave. So I, I'm not sure why anybody would accept this. Not sure at all. Really kind of frightening what's going on. And the frustration goes on and on and on. Elon Musk wants Europe to restart all its nuclear power plants and for the U.S. to pump more oil and gas. And even Ted Cruz agrees with this. And uh, so maybe, maybe, just maybe it's going to happen. CNN urged Biden to ramp up domestic oil production. How about that? CNN, they're going to get some heat from their, their green energy people. And there was a clip from a, a member of the uh, Ukrainian National Guard, a Ukrainian National Guard member who called out America for not helping. This is about a minute and 20 seconds, but I think this man's raw emotion deserves to be heard. It's an unidentified member of the Ukrainian National Guard, but 
He's not happy with us. I want to say that your president, Biden, your president, Trump, your president, also uh, Obama, they're bull f***ing liars because they don't want to have any business with Russian, but they have business. The Iranian or aluminium come to your countries. You don't, you're afraid to clear our sky, to defeat our sky, because you're afraid Russians. You're a nation of the f***ing liars. We give our nuclear power and our nuclear weapon for your guarantees. Your guarantees is nothing. We give our supersonic bombers for your guarantees. Your guarantees is nothing. We give the most part of our rockets for your guarantees. And where are your guarantees? We have many hundred dead children. Children, not people, children. I don't know where is my family nowadays. But you say about the sanctions. Sanctions don't know what it means the bombs. They know your sanctions do not save our lives. Why you close the sky in Libya, in Yugoslavia, in Syria, and they're afraid? You're afraid the Russians? That's why you are not, you're nothing. You're not superpower uh, country. You bull****. Excuse me, but it's true. Well, we got called out. He dropped the uh, Bravo Sierra hammer on us and the F-bombs on us several times over. The frustration is palpable. We're starting to see the the numbers grow to levels that we didn't anticipate. A million refugees reportedly crossed into Poland already. Poland saying they're going to give the MiG-29s to Ukraine, the warplanes that they then will use to fight the Russians. And we will backfill, as they say, meaning we will replace those planes with some of our planes. So the old Russian hardware will be gone and new American technology will take its place. I need to know more about that. I need to understand more about that and whether or not that's a wise move. Keep an eye on what happens today. Keep an eye on what uh, is said about the refugees and about the offer to end this because the the negotiations between Russia and Ukraine that China is now pushing as the only way to solve it, they, um, they got a little dicey yesterday as one of the Ukrainian negotiators was killed by his own team. So I wonder if this is already prearranged in some way. I'm dubious. Yes, of course I am. And I want peace, but I also want a free people to be allowed to be free. And we can't allow a dictator to do what he's doing. All right, let's change gears. There's so much going on in the world outside of Russia and Ukraine. So much to talk about. A lot of it in the world of the law and some crazy stories that we have to cover, like the Ghislaine Maxwell story, which has a hiccup in it. Could her uh, conviction be vacated? There's a story about the Boston bomber that broke late on Friday that the Supreme Court reinstated his um, execution. I'm kind of happy about that. And then last week, we talked briefly about it, the strawberry Pop-Tart lawsuit, saying there are not enough strawberry in the strawberry Pop-Tarts, other stuff. So I've got our buddy Wendy Patrick joining us. Um, she is an attorney, author, public speaker. She also writes for Psychology Today. If you've ever listened to me, you know who Wendy is. Uh, Wendy is joining us, and uh, we're going to talk a, a little bit about a lot of different stuff happening in the law. Welcome, my friend. Happy Monday. We're glad you're here. 
Hey, it's always a pleasure. I, I got to jump into it because I have a list and I, I want to almost play the lightning round here, the legal lightning round with Wendy Patrick. Uh, some of this stuff was weird. <laughs> Uh, the story from earlier in the week where the judge threw out the case of the person suing Kellogg's because there wasn't enough strawberry in the Pop-Tarts. These these suits always make me laugh. And I wonder how they even get that far to court. At, at one point, we need to have a person who has common sense who looks at a filing and goes, this is stupid. We're not wasting any time on this. It got all the way to the judge this case before it was thrown out. That's right. So, you know, Mike, there are procedures that test the merits of causes of action. And there are lots of types of motions to dismiss, both state and federally. The case you're talking about um, was dismissed, actually, finally, by a federal judge in Illinois. And it was a suit against Kellogg's. And, you know, it was basically tossed um, over the merits. But remember what they were suing over. Pop-Tarts don't contain enough strawberries. But the issue was no reasonable person could believe that these pastries only contain fruit. I mean, come on. I grew up with Pop-Tarts. And I'll tell you, I didn't buy them or ask my parents to buy them because I thought they had fruit in them. I thought they were, you know, some kind of great frosted pastry. You see cases like this. And, I mean, we could spend all day long talking about some of this litigation. But it is also true that, you know, people are allowed to test the process. Um, And when it comes to consumer transactions and false advertising and these kinds of lawsuits, they're actually taken seriously because lots of people buy products based on representations. So if there's any kind of alleged misrepresentation as to what you're actually buying, you know, court's going to hear it. Well, I, I just wish we had something in the law where if you file a frivolous lawsuit and it's determined to be frivolous, you have to pay the court costs for for the other we side. Oh, we do? We do. There's you cannot file frivolous litigation and there we are I mean there's an ethics rule on it. Um, all lawyers know about it. Well, I shouldn't probably say that because not everybody is as familiar with the legal ethics code as others, but you're not allowed to file frivolous lawsuits. But here's the thing, Mike, what constitutes a frivolous lawsuit? I, I mean, who decides what's a frivolous lawsuit? I, I would point what to this judge. Wendy, I would point <laughs> to this lawsuit right here. Anyone questioning <laughs> that there isn't enough fruit in the strawberry pop darts, that should be the bar. We're setting the bar right there. If if your lawsuit has less credibility than this, it's frivolous, and uh, I just love this. Can we stay in the food department? Because there's another legal story uh, in the food world that, uh, again, has nothing to do with healthy food. It's the story of that weasel, Harvey Weinstein, who's, um, who's in trouble because he got caught with contraband in prison. And when I think contraband, Wendy, I think, oh, he's got a shiv. Or somebody got him some jailhouse hooch or, you know, maybe he's getting some extra steaks delivered or a cell phone or drugs in his cell. What did Harvey Weinstein get caught with? Another favorite staple of my upbringing, a box of milk duds. You remember (laughs) milk duds, Mike? I love them. Okay, so... (laughs) Oh, me too. So Hershey's milk does. I mean, Pop-Tarts and milk does. I mean, that's like the breakfast champions as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) But Harvey Weinstein apparently um, was caught smuggling a box of them into prison. I mean, to each his own. Some people like 
you know, different types of contraband, and you mentioned cell phones and shanks and all the different kinds of things that, that prisoners want. You know, Harvey Weinstein is somebody that probably, you know, is being watched very closely in prison. He's a very high-profile inmate. So it's probably also not a surprise that he got popped when he had a box of milk does. And, you know, this has actually got more press than you might imagine. It's been called the, the Milk Duds fiasco. And apparently, according to his lawyer, it's the first and only time his client's been reprimanded in jail. <laughs> um, but, you know, model behavior is important. And it's probably better to be caught with candy than other kinds of contraband. But still, you know, he's probably going to have to stick to the jail diet, whether he likes it or not. Milk Duds might be a luxury item. They don't sell at the commissary. Yes, Harvey, jail, <laughs> jail candy not nose candy, no candy. I wonder if I wonder if I wonder if Chris Christie was looking at this and laughing because remember he got caught at a at a concert with a giant box of milk duds and he was just shoveling them into his pie hole. It's you have to look that up when we're done here. Crazy. You have to. You have to. I would guess that somebody sent him this article when they saw it for exactly that reason. Yeah. I guess it's. A, I guess lots of people like milk duds, Mike. Not just you and I. I know <laughs> they are delicious, and I I can't even believe they're they're still around because they're just. I doubt there's any bit of health in there at all. But they were just so good. Uh, Wendy, well, well, you know, you know what's very similar. Um, do you remember the marathon bar? It's the same ingredients, chocolate and caramel. Do you remember that growing up? I don't. I remember. Now you've got me thinking about all the candies we loved. Rolo. Remember the little Rolo things? I, were, that was going to be my next one. You can still buy Rolos and you can still buy Meltdowns, but you can no longer buy the Marathon Bar as far as I know. Anyway, let's save this for another second. Yeah, well, the best. <laughs> good stuff. The best candy bars in the world. Best and the worst of the candy world. Um, the, the other story that caught my eye this week is the, um, the possibility that Ghislaine Maxwell's guilty verdict could be, and the term that was in the article was vacated because of something a juror lied about or was bragging about or was telling stories about. Can this possibly force the guilty verdict to be tossed out? Uh, it is a huge uphill battle to toss out a guilty verdict. I mean, that is an absolute last resort and only looked at if there's absolutely no other potential possible remedy. Um, so that is, so again, having prefaced it with that, I can tell you what the argument is, you know, the argument here, and, and we heard about this right after the verdict, you had um, several jurors that were discussing the fact that they brought up new information, information they didn't reveal in voir dire back in the deliberation room in an attempt to influence other jurors and, and explain to them, you know, a little bit about what it's like to be a, a sexual assault victim. So the latest here is there's at least one juror who post-verdict revelation talked about having suffered child abuse is talking about testifying. And the issue is receiving immunity for testimony because otherwise, you know, he could just take the fifth. Um, and and the, the issue here is, you know, why wouldn't a juror bring this up in voir dire? I'm telling you, you know, our brave men and women that decide to be jurors, I, they face a very serious um, voir dire uh, grilling in some sense. At least that's the way it feels to them because they're asked very sensitive questions. So here, in order to, ter to determine whether or not there's enough evidence to actually think about vacating a conviction or talking about it, 
they're going to have to question the juror. So here, the juror's, the juror's lawyer said, you know, he's going to assert the fifth, and, the, and should the prosecutors give him immunity? So it's actually a very serious matter in trying to determine what kind of a hearing would be necessary to figure out what happened here. I, I'm just nervous that they will find a way to let a what I believe is a very bad person skate. And well, if they do vacate it, Wendy, does that mean the whole trial has to be redone? Well, it would, but first they'd have to actually find grounds to argue that whatever happened in the deliberation room was sufficient to use this absolute last resort remedy. So, you know, first they're going to try to figure out how do we question this juror in a manner to elicit the information we need to make that determination. That's why you're hearing things like, well, you know, the juror could just take the fifth. Well, not if he's given immunity. So um, the plot thickens. We'll follow this one when we actually hear what that hearing is going to look like. Okay. Yeah, I will bother you. You can rest assured. Um, a couple things yeah. going on. Uh, not too much expected in terms of fireworks in the confirmation process of um, Judge Katenji Brown Jackson. I think she's probably going to clear the um, Senate confirmation fairly easily and join the Supreme Court after um, after the session ends later this year. Do you feel the same way? Oh, yeah. You know, it, it doesn't seem like there is as much to work with as there was, for example, with Amy Coney Barrett or Brett Kavanaugh, both of whom authored things. They had different opinions that, that were published. Um, there's not as much here. It, and it's, there's also, it's also true, as it has been with past nominees, that you know they've affirmed her to several positions already. Now, here's the difference, Mike. I mean, sitting on an appellate court you know, is different than being the highest court in the land. There's nowhere to appeal from there. Um, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near the fireworks or anywhere near the controversy we've seen with the last couple of nominees. And I, I mean, Amy Coney Barrett was a lot easier than Brett Kavanaugh, but I don't even think we're going to get anywhere near either of them, um, simply if for no other reason that there's not the broad-based amount of information to work with. Uh, it, she hasn't had any real hot-button issues come up, as the other two justices have, so it may be a lot quicker and smoother. I'm sure everybody would love that, because people have other things to focus on nowadays, like how they're going to continue to make money to pay for gas and grocery store bills, then whether or not this is going to be an easier or controversial confirmation process. That's a great, great thought, Wendy, and uh, I just... Uh... I just think we need to take the high ground. Before I get to my last question, you brought up gas. Uh, you're a California girl. How high is the gas in California? Because I'm hearing it's it's over five bucks a gallon pretty much everywhere in your state. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. We've been keeping our eye on it. And, you know, public transportation options for those that can take them are more and more coveted because it is absolutely through the roof. And, you know, I mean, the State of the Union address talked about it just briefly, like, oh, you know, we have to understand this. No, people don't understand it, and they don't want to live with it. And, you know, I got news for, you know, both for some of the people in the administration that say just deal with it. Democrats drive, too. So it's been oddly unifying to have things like, you know, price at the pump and at the grocery store really becoming a, a matter of bipartisan outrage. You know, it's one thing to be ideologically aligned with certain types of things that the, you know, the 
President Biden's administration does and says, but it's quite another when it's really taking too much of a chunk out of our ability to sustain a quality of life for ourselves and our families. So, yeah, price at the pump here in California is a a hot button issue on both sides of the aisle. We may be a blue state, um, but I think even Democrats are seeing red when it comes to this issue. Let's leave it there. Oh, well done. Well done. Get that gooey dinosaur juice out of the ground, people. Get that gooey dinosaur juice. Pump it again. And let's get that Uh uh, American gasoline going. All right, Wendy, last one. (laughs) Supreme Court at the end of the week overturned the death penalty commutation basically or the life sentence of the of the Boston Marathon bomber he was originally sentenced to die then a lower court said no 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 that's not going to happen and the supreme court reinstated this is this a double jeopardy thing or can sentences get adjusted by higher courts all the time well, I don't know about all the time, um, but yeah, this is one of those cases. I mean, he was tried fairly, so the you know it's not like a double jeopardy issue as he gets another trial. But in terms of the punishment, the ultimate punishment, the court ruled six three along ideological lines here. Okay, so probably not a surprise, um, and basically said, "Look, lower court, you were wrong to toss out Sarnaev's capital sentence." Uh, remember, that was a decision over issues with jury selection, and I guess there was some evidence that was excluded during the penalty phase of the trial. Justice Clarence Thomas wrote for the court's conservative majority. How do you like that? I mean, the, the man who's most recently found his voice, finally, in some of the oral arguments. But here he basically said, nope, district court did not abuse its discretion when it didn't ask prospective jurors during the trial about their media consumption regarding the bombings and some other issues as well. But that's what the high court does. You know, they take up the real tough issues like this. Should we kill somebody for a particular crime or is a sentence of life sufficient? And again, you know, the reason you talk about why confirmation hearings are so important is you don't go anywhere from here. This is the high court. They've spoken and this is what shall be. So the death penalty for Boston Marathon bomber, older brother, as we often call him, is reinstated. It's death. And I don't know where anybody stands. You make your own decisions. Everybody says that, you know, we don't have the choice of life or death. I say God makes that choice. And let's just expedite his trip to have that meeting. That's my turn on this, Wendy. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to ask you for an opinion because I don't want to force you into a weird spot. But I do want to say thank you very much. Wendy Patrick gave us a ton of time and we covered a ton of subjects. And I hope to talk to you again soon, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. And there she goes, Wendy Patrick. Find her at wendypatrickphd.com or go to Twitter. She's on Twitter, Wendy Patrick PhD as well. I remind you uh, today and Wednesday and Friday, special podcast with Tracy Beans, Dark to Light podcast. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. And I will be uh, trying to do these daily, but this is a different conversation and you're invited to be a part of it. And thank you so much for hanging out. It's Michael Pelka on the Pure Opelka podcast. 